This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. First of all, a thank you to Victor Vigiani for sitting in last week while I enjoyed some Thanksgiving dinner with uh, my family back in uh, Brantford, Ontario. Uh, Brantford, not to be confused with Bradford, Pennsylvania, uh, our new affiliate, WESB News Radio 1490, Bradford, Pennsylvania. Uh, which is, I believe, in the northern part of the state, just about maybe an hour's drive south of Buffalo, New York. So, uh, News Radio 1490, welcome aboard, and glad to be uh, a part of WESB. That's uh, number 25, our 25th uh, U.S. affiliate. So, uh, strike up the band. Uh, I tell you, what a, a memorable evening it has been already, and we haven't even started the show, or barely we've started the show. I walk in. Not that, that you need to hear my troubles, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> the world has enough of its own. However, I just thought you'd find this somewhat, I don't know, amusing. Um, so at the first, uh, I have my routine, right? First thing I do is I, uh, I, 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 I walk in the door and I go into the mailroom, which is just off the lobby. And I've got some interesting mail to share with you, uh, to say the least, a little bit later if we have time. Uh, then I head into the kitchen to get my, uh, my cup of uh, green tea. And I usually grab a cup of coffee for uh, George Chunescu, who is hosting the program that precedes mine, Big Band Sunday Night, here on our flagship station, AM740. The coffee machine is on the fritz, not working. Not, no lights, no doodads, nothing flashing. You know, tried to replug it in. Nothing would work. Anyway, so no tea, no coffee. Fine. Okay, I can live with that. So then I'm walking down to the studio, my next stop. And what do I hear behind me? Nothing that I expected to hear. Grrr. Just, uh, yeah, just like that. Grrr. So <laughs> I turn around slowly. And I don't know, I, I was flashing back a couple of weeks ago, I was watching Clash of the Titans with the boys. And uh, I remember that scene when Pericles is trying to get into Medusa's lair and he's attacked by this three-headed dog. I don't know, I had this vision. I turned around and sure enough, there's this mangy looking dog. He has a collar and he's slowly walking towards me and his tail ain't wagging. Just grrr. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? This is supposed to happen in some back alley, but not in the halls of Zoomer Radio. So, you know, I'm trying to stay calm. 
And I'm saying, I'm talking to the dog like an idiot. I'm saying, and oh, aren't you a cute little puppy? Who do you belong to? While I'm backing away slowly. And so anyway, finally, someone pops out of a studio, a gentleman here I've never met before, works here in the building somewhere, grabbed the dog by the collar and said, and was very apologetic and very uh, uh, embarrassed and said, I'm sorry, I'm working here. I had the dog in the studio. He got out. I apologize anyway. So here I am, uh, barely, almost torn limb from limb. You see what obstacles I have to go through just to get to the studio to deliver the truth to you each and every night? All right. Welcome to the program. Uh, listen, let's just jump right in, shall we? Uh, enough about me. Let's talk about life out there because it's, uh, you know, it's pretty gloomy. Uh, let's take a look backstage in the global theater as we do from time to time with our good friend, a political scientist specializing in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory and, of course, the editor and publisher of a very important news analysis service, a weekly news analysis service called World Affairs Brief, which is dedicated to providing an understanding of the, uh, the secret or hidden actions behind world leaders. Joel Skousen joins us. How are you, my friend? Fine, Richard. It's good to be with you. Good to have you aboard. Listen, uh, you know, we've just gone through this whole debt ceiling debacle. It's the song that never ends. Of course, they, again, kick the can down the road. And we'll we'll revisit that in a moment. But with with all of this, uh, you know, talk about the debt, the one big story that has sort of uh, been silenced is Syria. And uh, you you addressed that uh, in in your recent... uh, 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 edition of World Affairs Brief. What's going on with Syria? Well, this is a rare occurrence that has happened is when the globalist juggernaut for war, which was clearly heading steamroller type, you know, juggernaut heading for Syria. Everybody knew that the U.S. was bent on attacking Syria. Everything was on schedule. They were just looking for the right provocation. They had it in the falsification of a chemical weapons attack. Um, near Damascus, and it was falsified, uh, and everybody, nobody knew how to stop it, except that Secretary of State John Kerry was in London giving a press conference, and a reporter just said, hey, is there anything Syria can do to stop this? Meaning, it looks like you're just hell-bent on going in there. Is there anything Syria can do? Oh, yeah, they could give up their chemical weapons, but they're never going to do that, you know, and that would stop it. And boy, I'll tell you, the Russians jumped on it, we accept. And Syria jumped on it, we accept. And they were stuck. And I'll tell you, there was hell to pay for Kerry at the White House for loose lips there. And I'm sure he, I'm, I'm surprised he survived that, actually. That was a yeah, major blunder. Uh, I was a, I was amateur know, puppets, hour. You know, absolute puppets like that, they're useful idiots, are, are, are believe it or not, are rare. And, and they would have had a lot of egg on their face had they dumped Kerry over that. They had to maintain appearances, and that's why he stayed on. But clearly he's been damaged in their eyes by this. And they've been scrambling ever since. They went next to the U.N. and tried to say, I want a war resolution so that if there's any glitch whatsoever in this uh, agreement, that we can go to war without any further resolution. And they wouldn't buy it. The Russians wouldn't buy it. They threatened to veto. So they didn't get that. And so what happens this week is that Kerry comes up and says, we have to have an urgent peace agreement. We require that the Syrian opposition set up a, tra- a transition government here. We're going to force the Syrian government to come in and, and negotiate with this transition government. 
And for all of a sudden, everyone's saying, wait a minute, we're in the middle of a chemical weapons decommissioning deal here, which is going to take a, a years, and you're now demanding, you know, an instantaneous peace conference. Uh, and what's been going on, of course, is that the Syrian opposition has fallen apart. Uh, they've got factional infighting. Uh, the Syrian army is moving against them, and, and basically the Syrian opposition hasn't made any progress. Uh, since this, and they were actually losing the war even before this. That's why the U.S. had to engender a, a falsified chemical weapons uh, strike by Syria against their own people, which was ludicrous. But, Joel Skousen with us, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, and you talk about the Syrian opposition, which is largely uh, you know, uh, made up of uh, insurgents from outside the country and, of course, uh, uh, an element of al-Qaeda, uh, all being propped up by the U.S., NATO, and their Arab allies. That's right, and made up also of those that were malcontents within the army, the corrupt, the other people. They said, eh, this is our chance to get back to Assad and, and the other powers that be in Syria, and so they joined. And Assad was very open in an interview with, with uh, Der Spiegel about we were actually glad to get rid of those people, and a lot of those people are dying because they're fighting for the opposition, but they were the corrupt people, and they said, you know, we have problems with them, and a lot of the mistakes that were made by Syria is not on my orders, but because these particular people went off the reservation and killed some civilians and did some other damage, and, uh, you know, that gets blamed on us. You know, I, I, I recently saw uh, on uh, online, on YouTube, uh, a series of interviews that uh, President Bashir al-Assad of Syria uh, did with the Western, uh, Western press, including uh, Charlie Rose. And uh, when you listen to Assad speak, and he speaks English quite well, he sounds like a statesman. And I mean, I, I know I'm not that naive. You know, he, he's he has to rule uh, with an iron fist. There, he's not atypical of of uh, uh, leaders in the Middle East, strong men. But he's certainly no crazed, uh, you know, dictator. Uh, and when you hear him speak about, you know, the uh, well, one one thing that jumped out at me immediately was that he said that back in the early 2000s, he had committed Syria uh, at the UN uh, to get rid of all of their weapons of mass destruction, which included chemical weapons, although they didn't openly admit they had chemical weapon, weapons for, for reasons of national security. Uh, so the idea of getting rid of those was his originally. Well, one of the... Let me just clarify and give you my opinion of Assad. Now, remember, Syria, like all these Middle Eastern, is ruled by a lot of strong people. They aren't necessarily the president. Now, his father was a strong man ruler, and he's the one who set up the system. There was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of uh, uh, dealing with the West and the Western intelligence services. They did a lot of nasty things. They did rule with an iron hand. Assad is Western-educated, medical-educated. He's a much softer individual. He inherited this, the power system his father established. And what happens is, in Syria, he's having to deal with the powers of be, basically. And he's having, you know, he inherited, he's got to be the head of state, trying to, but he realized there is only so much that I can change in that. If he, him, he himself would rather, much rather be a, a Democrat, he would much rather be fully democratic, like without the power structure, without the secret police, without those types of things. That's his preferences. So there is a difference between he and his father. And that's why he comes up so rational, because he is. 
but he is caught between a rock and a hard spot. I've you know inherited this position. I've got you know some really strong people. There are some bad things that go on in the government, and I only have certain limitations of what I can change at any one time. So then the question is, uh, uh, why can't? The United States. Why can't they? Why won't they work with Assad? There was a a, a picture that was released online uh, not too long ago, which showed uh, then Senator John Kerry and his wife having dinner with um, um, Assad and his wife. Um, you know, in a uh, it wasn't didn't look like a working dinner. It looked like a very social kind of cordial event. Uh, and then the next thing we know, you know, uh, Kerry is calling Assad some bloodthirsty you know, tin pot dictator. So what what happened, and, and why do they want Assad out so badly? Well, it isn't because of Assad. It has nothing to do with Assad. The reason is they want Syria to... They want the old guard destroyed in Syria that is underneath Assad, and Assad is merely the figurehead that they can paint. And they're having a difficult time painting him as the dictator because he isn't that, and, and Kerry knows that. Everybody who deals with Assad knows that this guy isn't a dictator. Even when you read the Der Spiegel interview that I talked about in, in the World Affairs Brief, it's very obvious these guys, these guys come in there from Germany with an axe to grind. And they are just, they're not neutral at all. You're a dictator. You're this and that. You've killed people. And I said, wait a minute, where's the evidence of that, you know? You know, he defends himself very, very well in this Der Spiegel. And they come out looking just like they are a hatchet man trying to crucify the guy, and he just won't have anything of it. It's just an amazing defense. That's why the U.S. media uh, won't put much of a sod on television. I mean, Charlie Rose made a big mistake. He came out looking very bad, very aggressive in this interview, and, and Assad came out looking, uh, you know, like the reasonable person. But here's what they're after. Just let me jump in here, Joel, because we've, uh, we'll okay. take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about Syria. We'll talk about the U.S. debt ceiling debacle and what it means for the rest of the world and whether the U.S. dollar will lose its world reserve currency uh, and much more. Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Or just kind of scrabbling around backstage in the global theater. Uh, thank God Joel Skousen brought his flashlight. He's the uh, a publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, a uh, weekly news analysis service uh, dedicated to providing an understanding of the secret uh, or hidden actions of government leaders. And Joel, how can people subscribe? Well, they can go to worldaffairsbrief.com. There's a big subscribe button. They can see a synopsis of the current brief. And then get a free sample copy before they subscribe by simply emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. And there's plenty of free things to read on the website as well. And when they subscribe, they get access to all... 20 years of the archives. 20 years. Wow, that's quite an accomplishment. Congratulations. And I've, I've, I've linked up to your site on, uh, on, uh, at richardserrett.com. They just go to the homepage and under guest, just click on Joel Skousen. That'll take you right there. So subscribing is easy as one, two, three. We were talking about uh, Syria, and it's been quiet there uh, lately. Uh, Syria has been very cooperative in, in this long-term decommissioning of all their chemical weapons. Uh, and so the question remains, given all that, uh, why, why do they want uh, Assad out, and why do they seem to be ready to start resuming their, their saber-rattling? Well, the, the main target is Iran, because Iran is the 
only Muslim nation in, in the region really that is developing its own indigenous weapon systems. And for years, ever since World War One, the the Ottoman Empire was in decline, and the British came in and started, and Germans started, I'm sorry, the Germans started to arm the Ottomans, and the British started to arm the Arabs. The Arabs have been cannon fodder for the East and the West, basically trying to use them and misuse them and uh, create a lot of bad blood. But as long as they have all their weapons supplied from outside, either from the West or the East, the Muslims are cannon fodder. They're just tools to be used in its globalist hegemonic battle that we're experiencing. Iran's trying to break that mold. Iran's trying to have their own indigenous weapon system. They've got enough oil and money to do it. They've made a lot of strides. That's why they're targeted for the takedown. And I think they are trying to uh, create nuclear weapons. If if I knew that the globalists had me in their sights, you know, I'd probably want, you know, the best weapons that were out there, too, as a deterrence. But what is happening is that even though Iran is the target, Syria has the highest retaliatory capacity against Israel. Israel has been tasked ever since 2004 by the globalists in a meeting in London to take out Iran. And they have not been able to do it. They've not been able to provoke Iran into a sufficient excuse to attack. But Israel is now giving all the signals that they're getting ready to attack Iran, and I think that's what's related to Kerry's uh, increased saber-rattling and demands for a peace conference, because... Basically, they're going to put down conditions that Assad cannot accept. They're going to show him as recalcitrant. They're going to try to whip up public opinion against against him in some way. Try to um, induce either Assad or someone, to, uh, you know, into uh, justifying military intervention. They may be able to control Syria by the virtue of the fact they have all these people in there doing weapons uh, and decommissioning. Uh, but Assad still has a tremendous amount of firepower. He's got over a thousand Scud missiles with conventional warheads. He can play mincemeat with their uh, Iron Dome anti-missile system. You just can't stop, you know, more than about ten missiles at a time. And they are capable of launching salvos of a thousand, combined with Hezbollah with their thousands of smaller rockets. This could be a real tough thing. That's why Syria, uh, Syria has to go down. But I'll tell you, frankly. It's going to be a bloodbath in Syria if they let that those opposition jihadists go in there. They've got a grudge match. They have shown already. They've beheaded people. They've drank their blood, eaten heart. You know, and these people are ruthless, and the U.S. is going to be totally responsible for bringing in the most ruthless bloodbath to Syria. And it's no wonder that the people in Damascus are just really fearful and, and hateful of the United States uh, for you know, financing this future bloodbath, and I don't think it's going to turn out well for Syria. Well, uh, Senator uh, Rand Paul uh, has has talked openly about uh, the fact that the United States or the, the, the Obama administration is backing al-Qaeda. Uh, a few others have, have talked about it, but why isn't the mainstream media all over this? I mean, this, to me, uh, you know, for those who believe al-Qaeda was responsible for, for 9-11, I mean, why can't people seem to connect the dots? You know, here they're supposed to be, you know, the sworn enemy of the United States, and, and yet here they are supporting al-Qaeda in Syria? Well, you know, if I have to be frank, and I, it's hard to make these statements without all the backup information, but I, I make them anyway. But the United States government controls al-Qaeda at the top. It, it's a CIA creation ever since the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. It's financed through Saudi, Saudi Arabia and now Qatar. 
and these you know Arab countries that are aligned with this global agenda are providing the funds uh, and most of the weapons and funds coming into Syria are through Saudi Arabia and Qatar and so you know the United States is playing both sides and that doesn't mean that all al-Qaeda people are are understanding or even a few are understanding that the CIA through the ISI or the Saudis are the ones who provide you know our money and that ultimately control us uh, like any terrorist organization, they hire a lot of bad guys, and those bad guys don't know who's controlling the top. So it's a very convoluted, very complex thing to understand when you talk about our government both fights a drug war and energizes and pays for and controls a drug pipeline, a major drug pipeline. The U.S. fights terrorism on one side and controls and uses terrorism for false flag operations. But I'll be very clear, 9-11 was not pulled off by al-Qaeda. Those builders were brought down by demolition, controlled demolition. This was a U.S. operation, a black operation from beginning to end. And I've got the proof for it. I'm putting out a documentary next year on the history of conspiratorial power and uh, from 1900 through the present. It's going to be a phenomenal synopsis of all of these things with enough backup evidence to provide proof for every reasonable people to understand what's going on. Well, we can look forward to that, and uh, we'll definitely have you back on to discuss that in uh, at, at full... Uh uh, at full length. Now, let's uh, let's shift from Syria and uh, talk about, uh, you know, yes, the United States uh, averted uh, default, supposedly, although I don't necessarily believe that that would have been the case, but they, uh, you know, this debt ceiling, uh, they've extended that, so so now the, uh, the U.S. debt ceiling has been raised to, what, $17 trillion. I was watching uh, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, a guy that I I have a lot of time for on uh, on Fox uh, talking about the debt ceiling and really put it into perspective for me. He said that back in uh, at the at the uh, I believe it was 1917, President Woodrow Wilson they borrowed 30 billion dollars to pay for the uh, the war effort during World War One, and they still haven't paid one penny of that back. Uh, to put it in perspective, that's the kind of you know uh, uh, financial um, uh, mismanagement we have in the United States. But w- what's really at stake here for the rest of the world? This constant kicking the can down you know the the, ro- the road, never dealing with the, the serious debt problem, seventeen trillion. But if you look at unfunded liabilities, you're and if 100, you trillion. then you include the state debt and and consumer debt, you're looking at probably close to two hundred trillion dollars. Yeah. But let me understand. Let me first of all explain philosophically. You have to understand why this debt problem is never going away. This is the way in which you reduce political resistance to unpopular programs: is that you don't tax them for it. You simply deficit spend. Politicians love deficit spending. If we taxed people for the war in Afghanistan and gave them a bill for five thousand dollars a year for every man, woman, and child in the country, there would be a rebellion in the steps of Congress demanding to stop. If you gave them a bill for $1,000 for foreign aid, there would be a rebellion. You see, these things are popular as long as you don't tax people, as long as they don't have to pay the, the pain, and that's why we never intend to pay them off. This is something that's just going to roll forward until it, re- it reaches a crisis, and that ticking time bomb is somewhere around 2028 right now where you don't have enough tax money to pay for the interest on the debt, then you're technically bankrupt. 
But I'm here to tell you they plan to give us a Third World War before then, and that's going to give them cover. The whole thing about it, the threat of an economic collapse, the dollar using its its reserve currency is bogus. And so is the concept that they put out in the press about come this Thursday, the U.S. will not be able to pay its obligations. That is baloney. They had enough money. They were nowhere near default. What they would have, you know, obviously had to make some choices. And this is the problem in the United States is that Congress was given the purse strings. The House of Representatives in particular being closest to representatives of the people. But the president's given the power to implement what Congress, and basically they should be impeaching this president for not spending the money according to how Congress has dictated, because Congress has the power to dictate. But they so destroyed the impeachment process during the Clinton impeachment, they so made a laughing stock that nobody wants to go through that again. And that's what happened with the debt ceiling crisis this time, which I covered in the World Affairs Brief. They actually, and Boehner was uh, House Speaker, John Boehner is responsible for the strategy. He's not a Tea Party conservative. He's not even a conservative. He is a globalist. He works for the other side. But he played along with the Tea Party conservatives that he was going to fight Obamacare and he was going to do all this. And they just rallied right thought, hey, he's doing a great job for us. And then he sabotaged it. He walk, walked away from this thing after he bloodied the conservatives. He didn't rebut any of the arguments on television. He made an agreement with Obama that he wouldn't criticize each other, which only accrued to the favor of Obama because your only defense as Republicans was to say how Obama didn't have to shut down these things to inconvenience people. He was purposely inconvenienced. And so they walked away with nothing and so embittered the nation about it that they will have no political capital to be able to do a debt crisis thing again in January when it runs out again. They're just simply going to be set up to capitulate because everyone will say, we, you can't put us through this debt crisis. You can't put us through a government shutdown again. It wasn't a shutdown. There was 83% of the government was operating normally, but the part that was shut down needed to be shut down in large part. A lot of these bureaucrats that are totally unconstitutional agencies need to go away. But here's how I would have handled it if I were ahead of the Republicans. I would say, we have an unsolvable debt problem here that is, we're not going to default because we refuse to uh, extend the debt limit. We're going to default if we let the debt limit go higher. That's what guarantees default. The only thing to stop default is to stop deficit spending right now. And so if I were a leader of Congress, I'd say, what we're going to do we're never going to raise the debt ceiling again, ever. So get used to it. We are going to hold the line. As of today, we have a balanced budget amendment. You cannot spend more than what you have. And it doesn't take two-thirds to pass it. We have the law of the books right now on the debt ceiling limit. And it only takes 51% to maintain it. You see what a, a, a gem they had in their fist? And Boehner gave it away without any concessions. But without I, any concessions and literally poisoned the waters so that nobody wants to go through it again. They've lost all power to stop this debt ceiling from eventually going to default. But and I don't see them ever you know, passing that type of legislation because when you've got almost 50% now, I think it's, it's almost on the brink of 50% of Americans who are receiving some sort of government subsidy, 
what is it now? One in six Americans are on green on green stamps, food 40, stamps. Forty million, forty-three million on on food stamps, and a hundred million people. And there's a lot of overlap, though. A hundred million people have some type of benefit from whether it's you know subsidized loans or subsidized this that. But it's it's still not a majority, but uh, it's there's there's a majority of voters have sympathy with these types of benefits because they don't have to pay for it. Exactly. They're being paid for with deficit spending. That's the it's the politicians' dream is to be able to deficit spend and the Republicans had in their hand, still have in their hand the power to say, no more, we're simply not gonna pass it. But when a, when this perception that, me, Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Joel. But they need to be clear and say, now, we are authorizing enough government, and we're authorizing money for these programs, and if he doesn't do it, look to the president. Don't ever come back to us and say, open the government. We've given enough money for him him to open the essential parts of government. Look to the president. He's the one, and we'll impeach him. That's what they should say. But, of course, both political parties, including the Republicans, are controlled by this powerful secret combination of power that controls our government, and that's why we don't get change. We have wolves in sheep clothing, like John Boehner standing up there pretending to be a conservative, and he was intending to sabotage this thing at all. And, and, and like in lockstep, the media is now saying, no more, we can never do this again. Jack Lew, Treasury Secretary, we can never allow this to happen again. The New York Times, we can never ha- let this happen again. Do you see how they've set us up? So the Republicans won't dare shut down the government again. Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. Uh, we'll take a quick time out, come back. Uh, can you hang in for another segment, Joel? Yes, I can. Terrific, because I do want to talk, uh, if, if time permits, I want to talk about something you mentioned in your last uh, brief, and that was this horrible situation that occurred in on uh, Capitol Hill last month, this oh, emotionally distraught um, woman, yes. a mother of a, yes. a, a, a small child, right. uh, shot by uh, Washington police. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about some of the troubling, lingering questions that remain surrounding that fatal shooting. Back with more of my conversation with Joel Skousen. Stay with us. I'll be at the Zoomer Show October 27th, Sunday, October 27th, from 2 to 5 p.m. So come on down and uh, say hello. Explore hundreds of ways to live big, travel, money, health, fitness, retirement, reinvention. If it's new, it can can show you how to live big. It's at the Zoomer Show. And again, I'll be there Sunday, 2 to 5 p.m., October 27th, zoomershow.com for uh, information. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief, stays with us as we poke around backstage in the global theater. Uh, earlier this month, of course, this horrible uh, tragedy, a, uh, an emotionally distraught woman suffering uh, from postpartum depression, it would appear, uh, tried to crash through the, uh, the gates at the, uh, the White House and was eventually shot and killed uh, by police uh, while her one-year-old uh, baby daughter was in the car. And uh, I believe she was just buried the other day. Uh, family finally laid her to rest. I'm not sure what the ch- status of the child is. I believe she was placed with Children's Aid at one point. Although, yeah. uh, you know, certainly, you know, a support system there. The the, um, the the mother, I believe, came from a you know a pretty good family, and she has you know her her parents and others are willing to take the child. Joel, what what is the latest on this horrible story? Well, you know, you can understand initially at least, why police would be concerned about a car. Uh, basically, she didn't get to the actual gates of the White House. She got to the 
four gate where they check credentials, et cetera, and ran through that. And, um, you know, some agents immediately swarmed out there, had barricades in their hand to kind of block the car. And then she zipped around and, and, and got away uh, from them. And there was a chase that ensued. This, her name was Miriam Carey. And the problem, you know, you can understand, though, that, you know, when you have a car that could be loaded with explosives, that's why they have a foregate before the actual gate. You've really got to stop these cars uh, because of the fact we've had, uh, you know, suicide bombers, you know, going to the Marine barracks and trucks loaded with explosives. So this is a very dangerous thing. So I can understand the response with highly armed SWAT teams, etc. But what really happened was the fact that uh, well, first of all, the, the media stated that uh, the woman was shot when she got out of the car. Later, the police found that there was a, a small child in the car, and they took him to protectors. But this isn't what happened at all. In Wolf Blitzer's situation room on CNN, he's interviewing a very credible professional woman witness uh, right across the street who saw the whole thing happen, and she clearly states that she saw the police open and stop the car, open the door, pull out the child and rush to safety. And then the mother came out of the car and they just let loose and blasted her. Her face was not even recognizable from all the, the bullets they pumped into her body. It was just a volley of automatic weapon fire from many different, and it was just absolutely unnecessary. And what's, you know, what's problematic, Richard, about this is the virtual silence of the media. There's no uproar. I mean, this was on CNN. This was Wolf Blitzer, who's supposed, and he's done no follow-up from this. The press has asked no questions. It's just disappeared. This should be a major scandal. So what's going on, Joel? What, 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 what is happening here? Well, what this does indicate to me is that, first of all, uh, and, and I, I frankly can't understand why they would do that. I mean, clearly when a woman gets out, It'd be different if she had a big overcoat that looked like she had a, an explosive vest on it. But here's she's dressed in a normal, you know, tank top that's tight to the body. There's no explosives there. There's no reason to pull the trigger. She's got her hands up. You know, why do you blast this woman? So somebody either trigger happy starts in and everybody else starts. You know, these are a SWAT team mentality. This is a military mentality here. Everybody opens fire. There's no leadership there controlling this situation, and all of a sudden there's a cover-up. And, uh, and this tells you something. When the media in lockstep is completely silent about this killing uh, and the unexplainable, and, you know, there's a cover-up. Somebody's called all the media and said, don't ever talk about this again, and everybody's in lockstep with it. Well, I mean, this is what's happening. Joel, I, I, you've probably seen these rumors floating around uh, uh, on, in, in certain online publications uh, trying to connect this child, uh, this one-year-old baby, to President Obama. Uh, and apparently Obama was in Connecticut uh, addressing – I'm not sure if it was a graduating class and uh, had supposedly, the story goes, had some emergency dental work done in the very office where this woman was working as a dental hygienist. Uh, and, and these are the rumors and, you know, I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not giving them any, you know, credibility here. I'm just saying that this is what's floating out there and I'm wondering if you've heard these and, and what your thoughts are. Well – I don't have any way of corroborating those rumors, and that's the problem with a lot of these things that come out of the alternative 
media. Uh, even if, you know, I assume they're, they're assuming that this was a, a child by Obama or somehow... This is a love yeah. child, and, and the, yeah. you know, to cover it up, the, the mother was targeted for assassination. I'm just, I'm just reporting on what's being yeah, the, the problem, floating out there. The problem with that is that you would have to have recognizable information that this was the, the woman. That it might well be why she's showing up in the White House. I mean, that's a very good reason, you know. She has tried to get in touch with the president or not. And, but, you know, she would have to be recognized and... Um, and then someone would have had a telephone in, this woman has to be eliminated. It's possible. I mean, one of the problems that I have, though, is that, you know, Obama is, um, you know, a noted homosexual. I'm just not sure, you know, how um, dedicated he would be to try to, you know, father uh, or at least uh, deal with women in that regard. Uh, so I don't think we're ever going to know, but this is certainly plausible. Uh, they do these kinds of things all the time to protect the president. Look at Vince Foster. I don't think Clinton gave the order to, to kill Vince Foster. He was a good friend of his. He set up his secret Swiss bank accounts. Uh, he knew too much. He was getting cold feet. He might have talked to Congress. I think his uh, Clinton handlers said, we're getting rid of Foster. All right, got to take a time out. Um, if I could just beg your indulgence and keep you for a little bit longer, Joel, on the other side. All right. Appreciate it. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief, back with more in a moment. All right, just a couple more minutes uh, with Joel Skousen. I wanted to keep you on, Joel, just because I, I had uh, someone called in and wanted to speak to you. And uh, let's get to uh, Kyla in Toronto. Kyla, welcome. Hi, hi Richard. Hi, Joel. Um, this is the first time I've ever heard about that chemical um, warfare on the Syria residence being um, mentioned that it was falsified. That, that's never in, in mainstream media. Do you think it ever will be? And how come I never seem to hear anything about Syria? mainstream news anymore. It's like, like they just don't talk. They just don't seem to talk about Syria anymore in mainstream news. It's like, how come? Well, Kyla, well, we we lined up and listen to the response. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we've sort of addressed you know why we're not hearing about it because you know Syria is complying with this uh, uh, order to decommission its chemical weapons. But as to uh, you know why we haven't heard that the uh, allegations that that the Syrian forces were responsible for the chemical attack. Uh, you know, haven't been um, uh, proven. Joe, I'll let you handle that one. Well, the Russians have uh, satellite imagery about uh, the uh, the trajectory of the so-called uh, rocket. There was actually more than one chemical uh, um, shipped in uh, to the rebels. We have documentation uh, through a British uh, filmmaker, interviewer of uh, Syrian rebels talking about receiving chemical weapons from the Saudi Arabians. That never made the mainstream press in, in, in the West. Uh, neither did the Russian evidence. Uh, these rockets came from areas that the U.S. says uh, were under control of the Syrian army, and the Syrian army says, no, we don't have absolute control of those areas. There are also rebels in that area, uh, and they could have launched the rocket as well. The, the point is, the U.S. has never made their case, and Assad made, said this in interviews. He said, show me the evidence, because the, the Germans, uh, Der Spiegel, uh, came out claiming we have all the proof. And he said, show me the proof. The U.S. hasn't shown me the proof. They haven't shown the world any proof. And Der Spiegel didn't have the proof. They just said, well, the U.S. claims they have it. Well, show it to me. They don't have proof. A we, lot of supposition. We also had a, a U.N. report back in May confirming that uh, these insurgents had used chemical agents in, uh, was it Aleppo in May? That's right. 
there's been two other incidents where we've already where the UN came to the conclusion that these were done by the rebels, and so uh, you know there is uh, what happened several weeks ago when the U.S. made this is, is you know we know that the Syrian government did this. You know this is this is not disputable. We know we know, and every time they open says since. Assad has attacked his own people. Since Assad has done this, and, and this is just a campaign of statements, of positive statements, indicative that are absolutely false and uh, that are unprovable. And, uh, you know, I've asked the question in the world, why would Assad, knowing that the U.S. is just looking for an excuse to attack, hand it to them by offering, and for what military advantage? In the middle of a bunch of surveillance to launch a, a, a minor chemical rocket, I mean, what would that even prove? Versus bullets, versus mortar shells, nothing at all. No military tactician would use uh, chemical weapons in those things. Only on battlefields where you have a mass of, of enemy troops without any civilians around, and you use gas to incapacitate. That's when you use it. You don't use it in guerrilla warfare. Nobody buys into that. Uh, Joel, once again, how do we subscribe to World Affairs Brief? Well, people can go to worldaffairsbrief.com and uh, click on the subscribe button. They should get a free sample copy first, though, to see what I do provide um, each week, Friday when my analysis comes out. They can get that free sample copy by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, always a pleasure. Thank you for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Goodbye. Joel Skousen, World Affairs uh, Brief. All right. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the, uh, the program, uh, as I made my way into the studio, uh, before I was accosted by a four-legged <laughs> uh, growling creature. Uh, if you missed that, yeah, there was a, a dog wandering around in here and uh, belonged to someone in the building. Got out of a studio, I guess, where he had, was uh, working, and uh, I... Walking on my walking down to the studio, and all of a sudden I hear this growling behind me. I turn around, and there's this dog. Anyway, but before that, I, I dropped into the uh, the mail room, and uh, I just wanted to take a few moments to share some letters and things. First of all, I always uh, it's, it's, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Of course, last week was Thanksgiving. Victor Vigiani, thank you once again for uh, filling in. Great interview with uh, Linda Moulton Howe, uh, and um, also uh, great uh, great program Victor did on uh, GMOs. Now. Uh, so that you know the mail piles up, and got this letter. I wanted to share this with you. I'm not going to mention any names or numbers. Uh, this is Richard. My name is blank. Call me. Gives the phone number. This is a cell phone, but it's a pay-as-you-go monthly Fido card. So unfortunately, I can't talk long on it. If you can call from a landline, then I can call you back from a landline. Less chance of being recorded or overheard. I have a story that is bigger than Edward Snowden's expose. In fact, it's the biggest story of all, of all time up to now. Snowden reported or exposed only a symptom of the real evil, and I'm a little surprised no one but a few realize what's going on and about to happen. This involves all seven billion citizens of Earth. Also, I'm not looking for notoriety in any way. Uh, I'll bet Snowden wishes he had done his story in a more subversive, anonymous fashion. It's that serious, although many won't believe it. But it can be nothing else at this date in history. All right, so rest assured, uh, dear letter writer, I will be calling you back on a secure line. Uh, then I received this. Uh, to whom it may concern, Mr. Serrett. Hello, sir. 
My name is blank, and I recently found, or sorry, I recently read an article off the internet about your show about extremely low frequency, or ELF, and I believe I'm a, a victim. After doing some research, I discovered information that relates to myself, um, to myself, such as groin shocks, involuntary muscle movements, such as my back, feet, arms, legs, thighs, and my buttocks. I also hear voices through my ceilings and walls. It's like someone is controlling my mind. I believe all electronics buzz my um, ear, such as radios at, at home, my television. Uh, if I walk by a stop sign, sometimes it actually will send a buzz through my ears. It's like I've been programmed just for the negative. My television has a constant ring, but if I turn it off, it stops. When I want to say something in my mind, I feel like it doesn't want to say what I'm thinking of. It erases it and goes back to what it's programmed to do. I've seen... I even saw red lasers flash through vehicles I've been riding in. If not bad enough, I have a control buzz in my ear all a constant buzz in my ear all day. It even uh, goes to the point where I believe my dreams are being controlled. I have even found homemade devices around my house. Even looked into my TV box outside where we where sick um, we. Sorry, it's a little difficult to read this writing. I, I, I looked at uh, homemade devices around my house, even looked into my TV box outside. We have six people in the house. No one put it there. It looked like some homemade antenna. Even more crazy, I used to take a, a certain route to the store and I dis, uh, dis, something homemade, discovered homemade antennas placed uh, by magnets on a couple light poles. They were never there, then all of a sudden appeared. My route was where I was walking, but no other street lights have... Anyway, it goes on and on for several... This person claiming to be a victim of electronic harassment. And uh, uh, season one and two of The Conspiracy Show are in uh, repeats on uh, Vision TV across the country. And I always... I don't get a, a chance to watch it uh, as much, you know. So I always know, though, what episode is airing when the letters start coming and the emails... And someone will reference one of the episodes, and then I say, ah, that must have been on TV last night. So, uh, obviously, recently, the uh, electronic harassment episode has aired, and I've been receiving, um, it must be a dozen emails now in the last week and a half uh, or two, including one from an emergency room uh, doctor, also claiming to be a victim of electronic harassment. And, uh, obviously, one has to be mindful that uh, people... Um, you know, can be delusional, can be mentally ill, and so forth. Um, but I, I sincerely believe that there is something going on. When you hear from this many people on a constant basis, and I've, and I've met these people and spoken to them and met with them in their, ho their homes and talked to them face-to-face, -face and no, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a, uh, a psychologist. I, I, I'm not able to, you know, diagnose mental illnesses. But all I can say is, as a human being, and looking into their eyes and listening to them, uh, I believe that they are sincere and genuine and not mentally ill. Something is going on. Uh, we'll, um, we'll have to do another show on that um, soon. Anyway, I will be in contact with these individuals. I also want to do, uh, this just arrived in the, uh, the mail as well, uh, a, a new book by our good friend Nick Redfern, For Nobody's Eyes Only, Missing Government Files and Hidden Archives That Document the Truth Behind the Most Enduring Conspiracy Theories. Uh, Nick, uh, if you don't know, uh, is a, a very fine writer. He's a um, uh, British citizen who now resides in Texas and uh, covers the UFO beat and uh, and uh, much, much more. And this is his latest, For Nobody's Eyes Only. So uh, we've, put, we've put the call into Nick to get him on the show, but the book has arrived. And then 
haven't heard from Frank Joseph in a while, sort of a real-life Indiana Jones uh, explorer, he writes about uh, ancient America pre pre-Columbus, and uh, his new book is The Lost Colonies of Ancient America, a comprehensive guide to the pre-Columbian visitors that really discovered America. One of my favorite quotes from Frank Joseph when talking about uh, the history of pre-Columbian uh, America is, uh, he says, Columbus wasn't first, he was last. Uh, so we'll put the call into Frank Joseph as well, try to get him up, uh, get him on the, uh, the program. Uh, coming up uh, shortly in the coming weeks, we'll get back into our JFK series with James D. Eugenio. Uh, he'll be here the first uh, week of November, the first and second week of November, as we continue along commemorating the 50th anniversary uh, of uh, JFK, and we'll go full bore in the month of November, of course, the, uh, the 22nd being the 50th anniversary. So James D. Eugenio, the first and second week uh, of November, and then uh, I believe it's uh, the third week of November, We'll, uh, we'll bring in Jim Mars, Nelson Thal, and James Fetzer, three top uh, Kennedy uh, assassination researchers in the, uh, the first hour of the program. Jim Mars, of course, uh, the author of uh, Crossfire. That was the book that sort of served as the blueprint for Oliver Stone's movie JFK, and Jim, Far- Jim uh, Mars was a, a consultant on the film. And uh, very quickly, a great uh, memory that I have, my first time in uh, Dallas, in Daly Plaza, and I had arranged earlier, or later in the day, rather, to meet with Jim at his home in, in uh, just outside Dallas uh, for the TV show, to interview him for the TV show. Uh, I had my cell phone with me, and I'm walking uh, just past the, um, the Texas Book Depository building, and the phone rings, and it's Jim Mars. And I said, oh, Jim, what a coincidence. Yes, uh, I'm confirmed. I'll, I'll be at your place at 4 o'clock. I'm just in Dealey Plaza right now. And uh, then over the phone, Jim gives me this wonderful guided tour of Dealey Plaza. He says, okay, stop where you are right now. Look over your shoulder. Do you see the window on the sixth floor? Look at the tree in front of it. Uh, that tree was exactly the same height in 1963. There's no way Oswald could have shot. Anyway, he, he went on and on and on, and I'm walking along. He's pointing over the phone all these amazing uh, facts about Dealey Plaza. If you're going to get a, a, a guided tour of Dealey Plaza, you know, Jim Mars is the guy to give it. Uh, anyway, listen, uh, the website, richardserrett.com, as always, is your portal to The Conspiracy Show. I've posted some uh, interesting stories up there, uh, including, uh, well, for those of you who are um, techies, you may be surprised or uh, uh, disheartened to learn that your D-Link router on your internet, uh, your D-Link router is what uh, provides you know the wireless internet. Is that right, Tim? Your D-Link router may have a backdoor. NSA-inspired paranoia within the hacker community about the pervasiveness of the government's power to compromise equipment may be bearing real fruit. A curious computer security professional published findings on Saturday that deconstructed the firmware code for some D-Link router services and discovered a backdoor built directly into the code. By changing the user agent in a web browser, then they go on to give you the, the, uh, the, uh, the user agent name, a, a user could bypass the security on the device and get online or control the higher functions of the router. 410-meter asteroid may collide with Planet Earth in 2032. Those are just a couple of the uh, stories I've posted at richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Hey, welcome aboard. Great to have you with us. Hope you're with us for the duration. 
Once again, we would like to welcome our new affiliate. This is number 25, WESB News Radio, 1490 in Bradford, Pennsylvania. And uh, that is in uh, northern Pennsylvania, beautiful state. I love Pennsylvania. Uh, driving through, uh, I guess it's the Allegheny Mountains. And uh, there's, a, there's a particular county uh, down there that I've uh, traveled to a few times that I've just fallen in love with. It's called Bucks County. And uh, there are all these beautiful stone houses uh, that date back to uh, the war, you know, the revolution, Revolutionary War. We're talking, you know, 250-year-old uh, houses or 230-year-old uh, houses. Anyway, beautiful country uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, just one of those places you just love to drive get in the car and just drive and with no particular place to go as Chuck to sing. So WESB News Radio 1490 Brett, Pennsylvania. Uh, welcome and glad to be part of your radio station. Uh, had the boys out, well I didn't, the mighty Aphrodite took the boys out uh, pumpkin hunting on, um, on the weekend and um, they brought back six of them. Uh, five small ones and one fairly large one and uh, for $20 uh Anyway, they're, uh, they're uh, very excited. Uh, they're going to be, uh, you know, carving and painting and uh, having some friends over next weekend and uh, sort of a belated birthday party. They're going to incorporate the, uh, the carving of the jack-o'-lantern into, their, uh, into the proceedings with their, uh, their friends. Uh, although North is a little distraught because hasn't been performing well in school lately. And uh, after sort of laying down the law, that continued for several weeks. And so, unfortunately... We had to take away uh, his trick-or-treating evening, so he won't be going out Halloween, uh, but he gets to dress up and shell out candy, and uh, we'll make it fun for him. But, you know, you got to do it. Sometimes you got to lay down the law as a parent, and I, I feel bad for the little guy because he's been lobbying me behind the scenes. He says, do you think Mama will let me go out if I do better in school? I said, North, just, you know, you can give it a shot, but um, unfortunately I think the die is cast. Uh, he'll get over it, I hope. I hope. Uh, Halloween, of course, is uh, top of mind for everyone, especially the little ones as uh, we head on into the latter half of uh, October. And, uh, you know, we don't just talk about ghosts this time of year. We talk about uh, ghosts all year long on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, but it is, you know, top of mind at this time of year. And uh, recently became aware of a, uh, a woman who uh, author of 10 books, and they call her the real-life ghost whisperer. And i um, delighted to have her on the program tonight to talk about uh, not, every, not only about everything you want to know about ghosts, but also um, about people who are susceptible to entity possession or oppression, and also about uh, this whole phenomenon around uh, earthbound souls. Uh, there are multiple reasons, and she's delved into this and researched it, as to why a departed spirit becomes earthbound. And I thought we could, uh, we could go there for the next hour. Dr. Susan Shumsky, as I say, the author of 10 books, including The Power of Auras, The Power of Chakras, Instant Healing, Exploring Meditation, How to Hear the Voice of God, Miracle Prayer, and Divine Revelation. She is, as I say, an expert in depossession and in clearing noxious zones and geopathic lines from the environment. She also relates anecdotes about entity possession and oppression. Dr. Susan Shumsky, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Thank you. Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. 
So uh, where did this all begin for you uh, in investigating ghosts? I mean, were you a um, uh, are you uh, are you a medium? Are you a psychic? I would not call myself a medium or a psychic. I'm actually a spiritual teacher. And where I first became interested in astral possession was when I got possessed myself as a teenager. And I had to overcome that through meditation. It was a terrifying experience that took place in my life at age 18 in 1966 when I was a hippie in the San Francisco Bay Area. And at that time, we were all delving into spiritual experiences. Really, our gurus at that time were Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, who were extolling the virtues of LSD. And Richard Alpert later became Ram Dass, as I'm sure you're aware right, of. Right. And at that time, we wanted to explore spirituality. We wanted to have spiritual experiences. We wanted to open to spiritual enlightenment. But when I had my first LSD trip, I didn't have, uh, well, I had some experiences of mind expansion, but I also became possessed by an entity. And it was a horrifying, terrifying experience. And it did not go away because I didn't know how to heal it or what to do with it. And neither did anybody else as they witnessed it happening. Well, what was this entity? What was this entity? Tell me about it, uh, Susan. See, what happened was I was on an LSD trip. And then I went back to the apartment of one of the people. It was we were taking acid. And... All of a sudden, I started to say out loud, I don't know how to die. I don't know how to die. And I was repeating it over and over. But then I started to say it at an ear-splitting voice. I was screaming it, and I was also stomping my feet at the same time. This is what they tell me. I, re- I remember saying the words, I don't know how to die, but I do not remember the, the horrific display that went on. They told me about it the next morning. And obviously it was an earthbound spirit who had taken possession of my body, yelling, I don't know how to die. And, uh, and using my body and, and stomping with my feet. Well, Susan, let me so, just jump in here if I could. You say obviously, but how does one differentiate between just a bad trip, as they used to say back in the, uh, in the 60s, a bad trip and a, and, a, and a possession. Okay. Well, this was not just a bad trip. This was definitely a possession because I was, uh, this spirit was using my body, stomping my feet, say, yelling, I don't know how to die. I mean, it's definitely a spirit that was doing that through me. And, and, after that, uh, I never really came down from that acid trip. It was horrific. And I had terrible experiences for quite a long time after that. However, the drugs, the psychedelic drugs, did open me up to altered states that gave me a very strong desire to experience true meditation. And 
I was reading books like Paramahansa Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi. I was reading Alan Watts' The Way of Zen. I was reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And really, we all were. We were reading these kinds of books at that time. I'm sure people don't realize that the flower children of that time were seeking spiritual awakening and spiritual enlightenment. And when I read Alan Watts' book, it said that you need to find a meditation guide. Well, in 1966, in Berkeley, California, you didn't go to the yellow pages to find meditation guide or yoga or anything remotely similar to that. So I asked a roommate, well, you know, I need to find a meditation guide. How can I do that? And he said, well, have you ever tried to meditate yourself? So I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll give that a shot. I don't know, but I'll try. So I lay down on my bed. I didn't know what to do. I lay down on my bed, and I kind of prayed for or asked for a meditation. Immediately, I was propelled into an ecstatic state. There was a cord or rush of energy that was rushing from the tips of my toes all the way to the top of my head. I, it, I felt like I was being plugged into an electric socket. And this rush of energy went through my body. And it was very ecstatic. And I, so I, I thought, well, I guess this is meditation. You know, I didn't know any better. Little did I know that I had my first meditation experience along with my first complete kundalini awakening at the same time. Wow. I mean, people, people work on that meditation for, for decades and some never achieve it. And you just lie back on the bed and it happened. Well, the thing is, I do believe that people work on these things for lifetimes. This doesn't just happen in five minutes. Uh, I have past life recall of being a sannyasi in India, of being a renunciate, of being in the, on the Ganges River, and of meditating in caves and so on. So, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. Anyone who is sensitive to spiritual experiences, anyone who has any kind of clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, anyone who is somewhat psychic or somewhat sensitive or somewhat intuitive or has had interesting spiritual experiences, we've been doing this for a long time, many lifetimes. Let me get back to the, uh, we're just coming up on a break here, but let's start get back into this conversation regarding uh, your possession by this, this entity uh, that entered your uh, your body during a, an LSD trip back in the late or mid to late 60s in San Francisco. Uh, so did, what happened after that that initial, you know, uh, possession? Did did it uh, did this entity make itself known to you by by name? Did it appear to you? Uh, what how did it manifest itself? No, it did not. It, that just took place that one night. But after that, I really never came down from the LSD trip. My, my senses were permanently opened. Uh, the LSD, what it did is, I ha it's as if the volume on all of my senses was turned up to the max. Colors were brighter. I was incredibly sensitive to everything in my environment. I was hearing... I don't know if they were hallucinations or if they were 
real. I was hearing other people's thoughts. It was a very strange experience, and it was actually terrifying at the time because it was a complete. And also, I was out of my body. I was like a foot above my body. So all of that was taking place. Uh, that actual possession itself was that uh, specifically that one night. But I am sure there were entities that were around me because I was having. Uh, I was having these voices. There were certain voices that were coming to me that were laughing at me and jeering at me and making fun of me, and it was like a paranoid hallucination. But I do believe that these were real voices of of astral entities, earthbound spirits, or whatever they were, or demonic beings even that were around me and that were. Trying to possess me. All right, Dr. Susan Shumsky stays with us. We'll come back on the other side, continue to discuss uh, possessions or oppression and earthbound souls. We'll also open up the phone lines, questions or comments. Most welcome. The Conspiracy Show back with more right after this. Dr. Susan Shumsky is with us. Her latest book is The Power of Auras. We're talking about ghosts tonight uh, and earthbound souls and possession. Uh, Susan was possessed uh, back in the late 60s while um, on an LSD trip. Uh, I'm wondering, though, in terms of meditation, uh, and I've, I've, I've heard from some who sort of have cautioned uh, that when one is in deep meditation, you are uh, opening yourself up to uh, potential possession. Was that ever a concern? No, actually, meditation for me cured me of all possession. However, if a person is a psychic sponge, a psychic sponge is a person who absorbs the energies around them as a sponge absorbs water. And if they are a psychic sponge and they do not keep their auras closed off, then they might be susceptible to entity oppression or possession. There are many reasons why a person is susceptible to entity possession or oppression. But if the meditation practice is worth its salt, there's no reason that a person would become possessed through meditation unless they're just sitting there going into a kind of a blank state and just kind of uh, like daydreaming, going off into nowheresville. Yes, that, but I don't call that meditation. I call that daydreaming. All right. What, what, through your meditation, uh, Susan, what did you learn uh, regarding, uh, I guess, the entities that inhabit uh, what, what I guess you would call the astral plane? Where is the astral plane? What does it look like? And, 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 and what inhabits the astral plane? Or who inhabits the astral that's plane? A really, that's a great question, Richard. The astral plane is another dimension. We're in the physical plane right now. But there are four basic planes of existence. There is the spiritual plane, the mental plane, the astral plane, and the environmental plane. And the environmental plane meaning this physical world. So in the astral world, which is another dimension, it is parallel to this dimension, it's at the same time, in the same space, but in another dimension, there are beings who inhabit the astral world. 
They might be earthbound spirits who did not go into the divine light after death, who got stuck or stranded in this gray area. I can only kind of describe it as a gray, flat, grayish area. And there are also other kinds of beings who dwell in the astral world, such as demonic kind of beings who've never taken human form, also what I call rakshasas, which is, that's the Sanskrit word for a type of being that is really a thought form that has taken shape and sort of has a life of its own. It's kind of a flat cardboard cutout figure. And uh, mainly it is souls who did not go into the light. They're kind of stuck in this place. Some people call it limbo. It is an astral world. Doesn't sound like a place I'd like to visit. I don't think so. I don't think anyone should open themselves up to it or want to visit it. But there are many people who open themselves up consciously to it all the time. How easy or difficult is it for entities on the astral plane or in the astral plane to come on over into our reality? Well, they don't really come on over into our reality, but if they use a lot of willpower, they can move objects. For example, poltergeist. A poltergeist, literally that word means a mischievous spirit. And what that would be is a ghost who is rattling the windows and rattling the doors and turning the TVs on and off and that sort of thing. So, yes, through their willpower, they can manage to, to move objects in the physical world. But they're still in the astral world. They haven't really become physical. Now, you write about uh, the various reasons that uh, people who die, they, and rather than go into the divine light, as you call it, they become earthbound, earthbound souls. And one of them you mentioned is disunion from organ donations. Um, this is fascinating. Tell me more about that. Well, it can happen that a living human being will go to the DMV and sign up on their donor card. And they say, oh, yeah, sure, take my organs when I die. Okay. So that's good and well if the human being has not identified 100% with their body as being all that they are. There are some people who do not really believe in a spiritual plane or they, they think that there's just the body. And when the body's dead, nothing happens after that. The body just dies. There's no soul that lives on. There's no mind that lives on. Just the body dies and that's it. Yes. Everything's blank. You're talking Last. about materialists. That's the end. Materialists. Uh, a complete materialist, Richard, will think that way. They will think that this is all there is. This material world is all there is. Then, after death, they notice that their, their organs are being carved out of the body <laughs> because they're conscious of this taking place because they're still stuck in the body, because they think that the body's all there is. They haven't moved on. So it's a bit disconcerting to have their organs being carved out of I their would body. say, I would say. Because of that, they get stuck. They're stranded in the astral world. So that's, this is just one reason why a person might not move on into the light. And how did you, how did you find this out? 
it was something that actually just was revealed to me through divine revelation, which is you know something I, I do, something I teach. And also, all these 14 reasons came to me as a result of my experiences of, of just knowing about ghosts and spirits and, and what happens to them after death, really. Are you able to communicate with uh, the, the denizens of the astral plane? I, I could. <laughs> I don't really want to. Do they no, ever... I, I don't. I don't communicate with them. I just send them into the light. Do they present themselves to you and say, "I need help"? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do, and sometimes I call upon the ones that are in the immediate environment that need healing, and then they will come for healing. They'll come for help, and then just send them into the light. Anyone can do this, you know. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to send ghosts into the light. Oh, well, what do you do then? I mean, uh, what do you, you say? You just speak lovingly do... to the entity. You just speak lovingly to that one who needs healing. And you just speak to them directly. And you just say you are filled and surrounded with God's love. You are filled and surrounded with God's light. You just speak lovingly like that to the entity, and then you tell them that they're free, they're free from fear, they're free from pain. You tell them that they are lifted into the light, into the divine light, and you tell them that they're blessed, they're forgiven, they're released into the love, light, and wholeness of divinity. And you just speak like that, and you can also call upon a divine being to take them into the divine light. So in each case, these, these earthbound souls, uh, the, what is it? They don't know that they've passed on? They, don't, they need someone to point out, listen, you're dead. Turn around, see the light, walk towards it. Is, is it like that? Yes, some of them don't know they're dead. There was a movie about that, The Sixth Sense, yes. with Bruce Willis, who played a character who... Just, he just didn't even know he was dead. Because after death, nothing changes. You still have your senses. You still have your mind. And if you don't realize that you're no longer in that body, you'll just be walking around thinking that you're still alive. This can happen quite often with a sudden or accidental death. In the sixth sense, it was portrayed as being somebody that got suddenly killed. You know, it was unexpected. This would rarely happen with somebody who's ill, dying in bed. They would, that just wouldn't happen to them because they, they know they're going to die. And then they die and, and they're aware that they're dead. But if it's a sudden accidental death, this is the reason why you have so many ghosts hanging around battlefields. Because they don't realize that, you know, they get shot suddenly and they're dead. And so if a person doesn't know they're dead, you can help them. You know, like, for example, my mother didn't know she was dead. She, she was in the mortuary. I'm sitting there next to her and I'm hearing her. She's talking to me. Okay, because I have clear audience. I can hear beings talk to me. So my mother was telling me, let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. 
And, and I'm sitting there, and she's continuing to repeat this over and over and over. And then it dawned on me, this was the same thing she was saying to me in the hospital. And then I just realized, and, and also I noticed that her vibration was very encased. It was in the body. It was not, if, if you, usually when you're around a deceased person, their uh, energy field is very expanded as if it's infinite. It becomes very big. And hers was very encased right there still in the body. You mean you, you sense so that I or just, you see it? You see this energy field? It's something that I feel more than see. It's more of, a, of the feeling than the, than the vision for me. Some people can see more. I can feel more in that case. So I walked over to her and I said, hey, mom, you're dead. You know, I, I had to explain to her that she was dead so that she would be able to move on. And it was a very touching experience because I told her she was free. And then after that happened, she actually became more expanded and she realized that she could see things. She had had macular degeneration, so she was basically blind before she passed over. Suddenly she could see, she could walk, which she couldn't do with any facility before she was dead. She could even dance. So she felt very free once I explained it to her. What are some of the other uh, uh, reasons that, that people become earthbound after death? Okay, some of the other reasons why they become earthbound, they might just be kind of lost and confused and wandering around in a dazed state. And that can happen if the person before they died had for example, Alzheimer's disease, or if they were senile, or if they had a really heavy drug, if they were drugged very heavily right before death. You know, for example, in the hospices, they drug the people very, very heavily, and they're just come totally out of it. So then they're just kind of lost and dazed and confused after death for a while because of that. And there's many other reasons, too. Um, for example, the person doesn't even believe in God, or they don't believe in a light, or they don't believe in an afterlife. And because of that, they just don't think anything exists after death. And because of that, their soul is prevented from seeing the light. They just don't see the light, and they don't enter the light. Uh, this clear audience uh, this, uh, that you have, uh, I mean, is it is it difficult for you? I, I mean, are these, are there... Like in the, in the television show uh, Medium, are there, are there ghosts vying to get your attention? Um, no, because I know how to keep my aura closed off. I don't open my sensitivity all the time. I don't allow myself to be a psychic sponge. So I keep my aura closed off and I keep my aura open I'm closed off to the lower astral world and open to the spiritual realm. In other words, I open up to the spiritual dimension and not to the astral dimension. And because of that, uh, no, I don't get bothered by ghosts trying to get my attention or anything like that because I don't allow it. 
But but if you're called, uh, do you go out to, to to places to do an investigation and and to to help these entities if they require if they require uh, assistance? Certainly, I will help anyone who needs help. Mostly, it's people who need help because they have oppressions or possessions. That's what I'm dealing with more than uh, investigations of houses or something like that. Although there has been cases in which uh, there was poltergeist activity. I, I didn't go to the places, but I was told about the houses. For example, there was one that was just horrific kinds of experiences were going on, including the clothing and the closets being torn to shreds. And I just crazy stuff was going on in this people's people in this one person's house for example well listen we'll, we'll take it sorry uh, susan i'll jump in here we'll take a time out we'll come back and maybe we can uh, uh, discuss that uh, that house in a little more detail and uh, continue to delve into uh, possessions oppressions earthbound souls with the ghost whisperer dr susan shumsky her latest book the power of auras stay with us Ghost Whisperer Dr. Susan Shumsky is with us. Her latest book is The Power of Auras. We're talking about earthbound souls. Uh, back to this, um, uh, this house uh, that was undergoing all of this poltergeist activity. Uh, wh- what else can you tell me? You went out to, to investigate this place? No. As I said, I don't really go out to places. They, just t- they, they talk to me on the phone, tell me about these problems and so on. And I do the healings remotely. And also, I teach people how to heal themselves, mainly. Because the reality is that if a person is a psychic sponge, if a person is unconsciously inviting this kind of possession and oppression into their energy fields, they need to heal themselves. So what I do is I give people prescriptions of what to do to heal themselves. In this case, it was both the girl and her mom that the girl is the one who really, really worked on herself to overcome this horrific poltergeist and possession that was taking place in their house and around their house. And she did. She healed herself. And the next time I I actually saw her personally, she came on one of our conferences that we have on cruise ships, and she told me that, you know, it's virtually gone away. And she is really on a strong healing path now. So what I try to do, you know, instead of fishing for people, is uh, teach them how to fish. I teach people how to heal themselves. Well, we'll address that uh, before we we, um, we finish up here. But I, I'm I'm curious, what or who is doing the possessing? Is it is it uh, a, um, a a departed spirit, uh, or is it some demonic entity or 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 what it's very rare for it to be a demonic being that would be pretty rare mostly it's earthbound spirits mischievous or malevolent now a lot of possessions are due to souls who had addictions to drugs alcohol sex food whatever they're addiction of choice when the body dies there's no body anymore you cannot continue your addiction in a dead body so that wandering tormented soul wanders around trying to attach itself to a living human 
in order to continue their addiction through them. So who would be susceptible to something like that? Well, obviously an, another addict, somebody who's already into alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is. But sometimes the soul is so desperate, they'll just latch on to the first weakened human they see, maybe somebody that's just had an accident or something like that. And because of that, that living human will have a sudden personality change. They'll suddenly get into drugs. They'll suddenly have an addiction. There's an interesting book about this sort of thing uh, written by Edith Fury. And I believe it's called uh, Hungry. Um, now suddenly the title eludes me, but her name is Edith Fury and it's about hungry ghosts. And. Um, so, so is that one of the, the, the symptoms then? If, if you notice, for example, a loved one or maybe even yourself, this wholesale personality change, uh, and uh, maybe all of a sudden you take up smoking or drinking where you hadn't before, that, is that one of the telltale signs of a, of a possession? I would say so, absolutely. And in that case, it's, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, they had have no clue what's going on. They don't know how to heal this stuff. They just don't know. What are some of the other symptoms that one, one might be uh, possessed? Well, I, depression, uh, lackadaisical attitude, you know, just uh, nightmares. Um, having a tremendous energy drained, feeling drained all the time, no reason, uh, just weakness, a lot of weakness, and um, there can also be physical symptoms. There can be all kinds of pains, and pains that seemingly psychosomatic. You go to the doctor and there's no reason for them. Because a lot of people who get possessed or oppressed, they will get these like nauseating feelings or odd pains here and there. That sounds like a lot of people I know, Susan. (laughs) No, I'm not joking. I mean, it's just you see it everywhere. And um, a lot of people uh, languishing in, in despair and depression and, and, uh, fatigue. And, um, here we just thought it was, you know, modern day living beating us down. And perhaps it's, um, some malevolent departed soul from the astral plane glomming onto us. Let's, uh, delve into this further. When we come back, ghost whisperer, Dr. Susan Shumsky, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Dr. Susan Shumsky stays with us, Ghost Whisperer, and her new book is The Power of Auras. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the connection between uh, auras. Uh, you mentioned, you know, closing off your aura uh, in order to prevent entities from entering. Uh, so I mean, how do we, how do, what's the connection between auras and, and the spirit world? Right. The thing is, we have an aura which is layers of energy around the physical body, around and permeating. is isn't just around, it's permeating the physical body and around it. And these various layers of our energy field, if we open our aura, we are susceptible to psychic attack. We're susceptible to energy vampirism. By the way, some of your depressed and low energy people 
is due to psychic vampirism, not necessarily entities from the astral world. We're also susceptible, if we leave our auras open, we're susceptible to entities from the astral world. So that's why it's really important for us to say some affirmations or visualize keeping our aura closed off to the lower astral realm and open to the spiritual world. Well, most people ha are not conscious of their auras. Uh, they may not even know they have auras. So how do you learn to open and close them? It's really very simple. Just use a simple affirmation. I'll tell you what it is right now. If you like, please, Richard, would you please, like that? Absolutely. Okay, so the affirmation goes like this. I am in control. I am one with God. I am the only authority in my life. I am divinely protected by the light of my being. I close off my aura and body of light to the lower astral levels of mind, and I open to the spiritual world. Thank you, God, and so it is. And how did that come to you? Uh, I actually studied with a specific teacher. I was in the Transcendental Meditation Organization for 22 years. After that, I studied with a gentleman named Dr. Peter Meyer from San Diego, and he had founded a couple different teachings. He had founded the teaching of the inner Christ and the teaching of intuitional metaphysics. And I studied with him and learned about this sort of thing. And that's where I learned it. Now, how do these uh, spirits lower entity uh, spirits, glom on to you? I mean, do they already have to be present in your house? Or let's say, for example, you go out and uh, you go to a, a, an antique store, and uh, I'm, I've, I've often been told, and you can disabuse me of this if it's incorrect, that, uh, that spirits will often inhabit an object. Uh, and so if you bring home, you know, uh, you, you buy a, a chest of drawers that you like, you know, maybe an old bonnet chest from the, the mid-19th century, uh, that could be possessed, that, 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 uh, that chest of drawers. You bring that into your house, and all of a sudden, you've brought them in. You've brought those spirits in. Is that how it happens? That's one way that it can happen, yes. Definitely, because old things have old energies in them. They have thought forms, and they also have entities. Antique stores are filled with entities. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, 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 what about just walk? Let's say you're visiting someone in the hospital. I, I would imagine that there are a lot of earthbound souls wandering around in ERs. Yes, they are. There's a lot of earthbound souls in hospitals, prisons, bars, mental hospitals, any kind of institution, educational institutions, schools, universities, churches, everywhere. graveyards, obviously. They're everywhere. But to tell you the truth, not so much in graveyards as the other places that I mentioned. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, but so, so when you're walking into any of these places that might attract, to, you know, earthbound souls, and are you saying that, that meditation, I am in control? Yes, I think it's really important. It's like, a, it's like brushing your teeth in the morning for everybody to close off their aura and open to the spiritual world because you're going to have a better day if you do that. <laughs> You'll simply not be attracting 
energies around you untoward energies. I mean, there's a lot of energies. It isn't just entities. It's all the thought forms of humanity that are in the atmosphere. I call it environmental static. All the beliefs, habits, conditions, patterns of all the people around you at work, at home, everywhere. You're continually being bombarded with all these energies. And it's just a good idea for you to sort of live inside a spiritual cocoon. And that particular affirmation that I taught you will help you to do that. So we are really in the midst of, of constant spiritual warfare, it sounds like. Yes, we are. Uh, yes. What, um, what does someone do uh, if let me let me ask back up and ask you this question: Are you able to tell remotely whether someone has uh, a ghost problem? Yes. So uh, let's say, for example, if I were to, if I were to ask you to sort of tap into where I am, uh, what do you need me to tell you? Uh, do you need a location? Where are you, mean in this, where are you in your home? No, this is a a studio in uh, in Toronto in a, in a neighborhood called Liberty Village in Toronto, Canada. Uh huh. Yeah. Are you able to connect? I, I don't. I don't sense any ghosts there. No. All right. Well, that's encouraging. I'm. I'm. I'm told that the the previous building we we moved here in April. Uh, we were in yes. a much older uh, a building in another part of town, and uh, there were apparently some ghost stories uh, related to that. I never had any experiences, but my uh, uh, the uh, a friend here who hosts a show preceding mine had some remarkable experiences at the old building uh, where an old uh, a colleague of his would visit from time to time. Um, I, you know, yes, in old buildings, that'll happen. Old theaters, old build, any kind of old building will often be haunted. All right, so what does someone do if, if uh, they're possessed or if they have a loved one that's possessed and they want to help them? You know, you can pray for other people. But ultimately, they need to want to be healed themselves, and they need to want have enough. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a lot of pain for a person to really, <laughs> to really be motivated to be healed, but um, and and willingness to be healed, because people gain advantage. There's always advantages to being poor me. There's always you know <laughs> they always get something out of it. But if they really are willing to be healed, then by using the self-authority affirmation that I just told everybody, and by using the astral entity healing prayer, they can be healed. And so what happens when they, when they, do they have to constantly repeat that affirmation, or does it happen, do they have like a spontaneous exorcism? What happens? The, the fact is that if somebody has a possession or an oppression, I really recommend that they say, for example, the Astral Entity Healing Prayer, which I can say it right now if you want. Let's, yes, please do. They, if they say it like 50 times a day and use the self-authority affirmation 50 times a day, then they will be on a healing path and they will be healed. Uh, so I can say the Astral Entity Healing Prayer right now. It goes like this, and you're speaking directly to the entity or entities that you want to heal. You just say, beloved ones, you are unified with the truth of your being. You are lifted in divine love. You are forgiven of all guilt and shame. 
You are healed and released from loss, pain, confusion, and fear. Divine love and light fill and surround you now. Attachment to the earth no longer binds you. You are free to go into the divine light now. Go now in peace and love. Now, if the spirit is malicious, let's say, uh, you know, this, let's say this individual was a real PR in, uh, in life and, and uh, so nothing has changed in the astral plane, are they, are they willing to go or are they going to just hang on for dear life? To, well, not dear life, but are they going to just hang on no matter what? Right. Yes, Richard, they do not always go into the light, at least not right away. Sometimes it takes some convincing. And so then what do you do? Call in the heavy hitters? I mean, what do you, I mean, <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, I do tend to call in the heavy, heavy hitters when I need help. I call in Holy Spirit. I call in the great Avatar Babaji. I call upon various divine masters, teachers, Jesus Christ. I call upon various beings of light to assist me with the healing. What are your thoughts on the Catholic rite of exorcism? Does it do any good? I imagine it probably does, or they wouldn't be doing it. I don't know too much about it. I don't know how it goes exactly. But if they are asking the spirit to leave, you know, the spirit will eventually leave. But the question is, where is it going to go? Exorcism in general means driving out evil spirits, quote unquote. First of all, most of the spirits are not evil. Most of them are just lost and confused and looking for a way out. Secondly, if you drive them out, they'll just go somewhere else. They'll go bother your mother-in-law or your sister or a dog or a child. They'll go someplace else. So that's why it's important to heal them permanently, to send them into the divine light. You mentioned that, that, uh, that if we are possessed by a, a, a spirit, we can become depressed or lethargic or just physically ill. Uh, mentally ill, perhaps. But uh, can they? Are there, are there other ways that they can be harmful to us? Should we fear ghosts? You, there is no reason to ever fear anything if you know how to heal it. I've taught you how to heal it. There is no reason to ever fear. Now that you know that, all you need to do is just use some simple prayers. I have never feared any ghost. I've never been afraid of any kind of horrendous poltergeister. You know, there, there's a lot. I could tell you stories probably all night about different exorcisms that I and my students have done. But the reality is none of it was done out of fear. It's all done out of love because everyone wants love. Even the most desperate demonic being, their motivation is love. Everyone's motivation is love. They want attention, they want love, they want acceptance. If you give them love and help them, they will go into the light. Uh, Susan, is there an, another type of ghost? What I'm thinking about is, um, you know, the, the classic, uh, you know, someone sees a man in a top hat descending the staircase at exactly the same time every day uh, as, as if it's some sort of an echo. Like that right. ghost doesn't have consciousness. So what's going on there? Is that just some sort of a reverberation from the past? What is that? No, that's actually a ghost. 
those what they call echoes or those uh, re repeating tapes or whatever they call them, repeating videotapes, those are ghosts. They are stuck on a treadmill. But does that ghost have... Now, what is, kind of hellish existence is that to be stuck on a treadmill? Right. And I ask ghost investigators, what are you doing? How are you helping these, these beings who are in torment? You just want to go there and take pictures and, and take uh, EVPs or whatever those things are called and help them move on, for goodness sake. These people are in torment. So, so that type of ghost, that echo, that, that ghost has consciousness, is what yes. you're saying. It does. Yes. And they can be helped. Anything that is stuck, stranded, lost, needs help. Needs to be helped, sent into the light. Well, Dr. Susan Chomsky, I, uh, I appreciate your time tonight. I'm wondering, I have one more favor to ask. Would you... Would you uh, be so kind as to email me those those affirmations and prayers, and uh, perhaps I could, um, if you would permit me to post them those online so people can access them. Uh, most certainly, absolutely. That would be wonderful. Well, listen, thank you for your time. Again, the book is The Power of Auras, and uh, I appreciate uh, you spending some time with us here tonight. Right, and my website is www.drsusan.org. DrSusan.org. Thank right. you. Have a good evening. Thank you. You have a wonderful evening also. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Tim Spreen, for production. Back next week, Dr. Uh, James Eugenio back on the uh, JFK uh, uh, beat as we commemorate the 50th anniversary. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.